What's up, all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart coming to you on today, Tuesday, February 16th. And uh, man, February. Can never quite get the hang of February, you know. I feel like it's it's there and gone before you really can get a gris- grasp on it. Been kind of struggling with uh, the, you know, kind of post-hibernation push of uh, kind of coming out of the holidays, trying to get back in gear, be productive, achieve, 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 stay mentally fit. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's, that's, it's always this time of year. It's always that kind of stuff, but it can, it can be a churn. It can, it can bring stuff up for all of us. Um, but you know, that's what, that's what our self-care regiments are all for and our practices. And the, the, I'm lucky to have so many lovely people in my life and such good support. So getting through it. Um, and this art certainly helps getting to produce and create stuff. Um, today I have something a little different for y'all. Uh, this is going to be a little departure from my typical podcast that I do. If there, if you can really claim that there's anything typical about it. Um, my friend Forrest Stearns, if you remember the, the first artist in space, or I guess the first space artist, um, from back from episode 21, uh, great, great dude. We're, we've become fast friends and I really appreciate, uh, just having his presence in my life as an established artist. Um, but he came to me shortly after we did our podcast, um, with an idea of his own for a podcast that he's been thinking about starting and, uh, it really interested me and um, we've been working on trying to get that going. And, you know, the name of his podcast, I think it's what he's calling it right now is illuminated conversations, I believe. And so apologies Forrest, if I get that wrong. Um, I know that you say it Forrest says it in this episode. Um, so it will be soon corrected if I did mangle the words, but essentially the idea is, you know, he sends the, uh, his guest, you know, these 12 questions, uh, you know, about who they are, kind of biographical, but also about their practice and their creative influences. And then um, from those 12 questions, Forrest, you know, he's an incredible illustrator and he he then draws a portrait of the person uh, from a photo that he takes, um, implementing all this beautiful script, uh, which, you know, words and phrases that he got out of the answers to those questions. And then the two of them sit down and have a conversation, uh, about, about the questions and answers. And we, we did, we went through the process. He asked me to come on and I was honored to accept. And, um, as we talked about it, you know, uh, Forrest had this idea, you know, maybe we could do a podcast episode on, on how to, how to make a podcast, um, which to me was interesting because I just went through this whole thing over this last year and definitely learned a lot and would love to share it. Um, and in typical podcast fashion, you know, you might have one idea going in and then you, you end up doing something completely different. But I think what this episode it became was um, 
you know, as we talked uh, about doing it, you know, Forrest, you know, he was like, I'd love to come on your podcast and interview you. And, uh, and as I thought about, as we talked about, it, it seemed like such a cool opportunity to give my friend like a real, uh, real world experience of getting to be a podcast host, um, before, you know, launching his and to see how that felt, see if it was something that he liked and to, to kind of learn by doing. So today's episode actually is going to be, you know, Forrest is going to be the host of the podcast today and I get to be the guest and, uh, and it was a blast. It was really fun and it really got, it, it was cool. You know, someone that's done now. I think I've got 26 episodes recorded. I've got 23 released. So this is going to be 24. Um, I'm always on the other side of the, as the interviewer getting to sit and just kind of try to, you know, dig these nuggets of truth and, and reveal my guest in this kind of intentional and, and, and genuine light, um, getting to be a, a, on the other side of that and, and have this person who is doing that for me. Um, it was an incredible experience. It, it really felt, I left the whole thing just feeling so good about who I was and my life and what I'm doing and, uh, and just so inspired and, and Forrest did a great job as the host. Um, I think he's going to have a really cool podcast. Uh, but you know, it also gave me this perspective on, on when I do it with people, kind of what I've gotten the feedback from my friends and, and the people that I've had on my podcast and a lot of them are really happy and excited after we do it. And so getting to experience that firsthand gave me this insight into the guest perspective coming on and, and hopefully will make me a better host in the, in the future. Um, I felt like I really, we were really able to get to this comfort zone where I felt like I was able to really open up and communicate about who I am and my experience. And I really am grateful to Forrest for, making that happen and, and just being a, a badass host. Um, and yeah, I, I guess without going much further, deeper into it, you know, we, we, we just kind of go into the questions that he asked me and, um, and then at the end, uh, his lovely daughter river jumps in, we were in his backyard and, and she had built this, obstacle course she was trying to get me to run and then and she comes in at the end with with a little joke so we're, we're ending on a high note um so i hope y'all enjoy it um and uh just know i have many episodes recorded this podcast is kind of starting to build steam at least on the booking end i i still you know still gonna you know not sure trying to figure out how to get uh more in the way of outreach and listeners. And I appreciate every one of you that's listening to this. Um, we're trying to grow this thing. And, uh, so, but, but as far as like me finding guests and I got some really cool people in store who are coming on and, uh, Forrest has been a huge, amazing cog in, in, in connector in helping me find new guests. And we should have some really interesting people in the, in the weeks and months to come. So, Stay tuned. Um, all right. All that being said, uh, here we are, the reverse podcast. Uh, it's it's my profound pleasure to introduce to you uh, your guest host, Mr. Forrest Stearns, on this episode twenty four. 
of the BartCast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. Right, Hobart. How are you, my friend? I'm glorious, man. I'm, I'm loving, uh, loving getting to be in a place in February where I can, you know, at, at 3 p.m. be out in a t-shirt and uh, really experience the uh, the timelessness of of the California reality. <laughs> that reality of <laughs> of endless middle weather. And yeah, I mean, you you made the hike over here from your part of the woods. It was a long trip. <laughs> yeah, it was over the river through the woods to Forest House, middle of the day, and it is a glorious February morning afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really nice nice time. So thank you for making the trek. You know, it was a, a grimy walk, I'm sure. Dude, you, it was you, tough. Were, you were even willing to run back and grab some other gear that you right. didn't grab. Yeah, it was multi-directional travel. Um, had to lug my my mobile rig over. You know the long half block over to not even the long, the long five twenty percent fifth block to uh, <laughs> to Forest House, and I think it's fitting. You know, I, I liked. I noticed that right as you started talking, the chime came in. I, I don't know if the Michael picked that up, but it was a nice little kind of cadence to start. And yeah, yeah, I, I had to do that. Yeah, I mean, it was I some scheduled that mind control. It was stuff. good. Well, we we are in my backyard. And the big sky back here in between some giant old buildings. I luckily have a nice backyard in the middle of North Oakland. Grassy, soggy grass in the wintertime next to this giant old school 100-year-old plum tree that my kid plays in all the time. It's about ready to come into beautiful leaves from its nakedness in the winter. You know, Hobart's over there sitting crouched in the rose bush you know, ready to pounce on anything that comes out. And it's just a nice place to be. We're set up on this big table, big art table with all of his gears, a remote rig. And we come over to the Dravoor Studios. And so I'm really honored that Hobart wants to come out and help me, help me in my first foray into stepping into what does it mean to create a podcast? Yeah. And so a little bit of backstory is uh, Hobart came to me straight up off the street as I was working with door open in my studio and you know the curiosity in him got us chatting it up and before I knew it I had signed up to do a future podcast with him and it was you know just like everybody else wanting to connect and collaborate just like cool all right let's let's do this what's next what's next and then we had this really beautiful enlightening podcast that really inspired me and humbled me to think like wow what I what I am doing and this thought process that I want to uh, move forward on is episode 21, by the way, episode 21. Get it. Yeah. 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 On the Bart cast, you know, the, the Bart cast on the block. And it really validated this drive that I want to do to create the illuminated interviews that align with the illuminated portraits that I've been doing of people drawing people. I'm a drawer. I love to draw. I'm not necessarily a, an orator or a speaker or a speech maker I actually missed Toastmasters today because I've been so busy on my Thursdays. And so I'm here with Hobart 
and we are in the backyard and he's going to help me figure out what is the context and architecture of a podcast that I can create. So Hobart, you've already been through the 12 questions. It's the 12 step process. (laughs) (laughs) One. And so my vision is to have my interviewers answer 12 questions, a specific 12 questions that I have Here's the here's Bart's soundtrack right here. It's a little uh, auditory context for y'all. Auditory, the Bart, about the, the Bart track on the, the whole Bart cast track. Commandments. <laughs> Twelve <laughs> cast commandments. So I got twelve questions that I'm going to ask a lot of people that I interview and want to draw, and I like the idea of people all answering the same questions and then having an interview that's a little bit quicker, that then dives into those questions on a more succinct and laser focused manner, but then can be a little bit conversational as well. You know, if I were to interview you, the listener, I would want you to answer the same questions as you, the listener that's next to you, the listener, the other listener, just so we could see like, how, how are we together in our humanity? And so Hobart has answered these questions. How did you feel about those questions? Well, it was interesting because you know, initially during the process, we kind of we had a, a conversation beforehand to just to open a dialogue about the questions themselves. And, and it's been really cool working with you and seeing how uh, open you are to like sharing mindscapes and to to being open to collaborating and, and even the creating of the questions. So uh, there was a, a delightfulness about seeing like the echo of my own words and your words. Mm. Um, and I will admit when I started, I had this immediate reaction of like, oh man, like I had to go leave on this shoot the next day. I was like, do I have time to really do this? There was like the little, like that little quitter voice in my mind. Like, yeah, just half ass it, you know, like you can, maybe you can do eight questions. Then you can give them the rest when you get back. But I was like, man, you know, forced is someone, I think, I think you have like a lot of integrity and uh, you're someone who I think like you're, when you say you're going to do something just my impression is that you get it done. And yeah. so I, I was trying to emulate that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to get it to him. I said I'd have it to him by tonight. So I, you know, I had a leftover bottle of wine. I poured myself a glass of red. And then I kind of just sunk into kind of a state of just playfulness with it. And, and rather than think of it as like a chore or as a uh, like a have to to use a shout out open classroom my elementary school back in the day um <laughs> we used to have like our have to's that we'd have to get done before we go play get those have to's done so i was like rather than thinking about this as a have to i'm going to think about this as like a a get to and uh you know and so once i i was able to kind of open my creative mind and, and put it into the playful space um, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm someone that, that enjoys the, the written word. Uh, it kind of just became like a freestyle for me, which, which I think like allowed me to maybe some would say answer in a more honest way. Hmm. If you're trying to get to the core of understanding like who the Hobart is. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this case, I really wanted to know who the Hobart is. And in the bigger context, I want to know who the human is Mm -hmm. you know and you you were such a help in this we immediately sat down and hashed out those questions and you dropped right in and helped me round out the sharp edges of those questions in a manner that made it so it was just easy to pass you those questions and thank you and it's you know christmas time end of the year time 
you know, no one's got time for any of this stuff <laughs> anyways. So I appreciate that. And in the, like the spirit of this conversation, the Illuminated Projects is a project that I have been spinning up over the last number of years with my dear friend, Adam Rosendahl, who I would love for you to get on your podcast. Hell yeah. Homie Adam is the creator of Late Night Art, and he's a facilitator that has been around the world facilitating and getting people to build community through art making. Awesome. And he and I naturally find ourselves drawing all the time, drawing everywhere, and in front of people listening to lectures and reading books and drawing the content. And so we started drawing uh, speakers and then showing those drawings to the speakers and to the conference providers. And they said, can you come do that for our conference? Can you come that, do that for our event? <laughs> yeah, sure, I guess. You know, I never really considered this thing an offering. It was just always something we did out of passion. But sure, you know, it, for a good challenge, for entrepreneurial creative challenge, yeah, we'll make it into an offering. And so the Illuminated Notes mm -hmm. spun up as a project. And then my partner, Tori, was like, you guys need to do a podcast. Like, you guys are so stupid. They <laughs> <laughs> might as well, like, get in and get dumb with people and just yeah. get funny and, you know, try to, try to make their stories round out with sound and round out with their voice as well as drawing. Drawing mm -hmm. can, one, be very illuminating and very awesome and abstract and full of energy, but it is kind of still in 2D, you know, right. where, as we can hear right now, the Bart's going by. And so things are happening around us all the time. And when we can tell a story in time, then you can drop in and, and learn from that. And so, you know, here we are. You helped me flesh out these questions. And so I'm really interested in asking you these series of questions based on your 12. And we can just go from there. Sure. So, you know, shout out to Adam. He's been there since day one with me, really figuring out the Illuminator projects. He and I kind of do it on... Uh, parallel lanes and we we meet in the middle and do a lot of projects together i also facilitate for him for late night art and which is a total blessing he's taught me how to be a public speaker through facilitation which i never knew was even a route and uh, the trade has been that i have pushed him to draw better and stronger and he he asked for me to push him in that manner which you know what a what a wonderful honor to be able to help someone draw better really fun so how about you, man? Um, so tell us a story about your creative practice that started when you were young that kind of got you to the Hobart level of your Hobartness now. Like what, <laughs> what, what was the creative practice that you were really like wrapping your mind around and practicing and, and vibing on when you were little that, that still resonates with you, like that kind of became you? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I answered for this one. You don't need to remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... One of the things that comes to mind when I was little, you know, and, and he's been a guest on this and on this podcast, shout out Jasper Thelen, you know, probably my biggest role model in, in my life and, and certainly as like a creative person. Um, I remember seeing Jasper, he was just like the coolest dude. He'd hang out at the after school program and he would like make these drawings for kids. You could just ask him to draw you something and he would draw it and I remember being young and seeing him as being this like uh almost like and sometimes in like fantasy literature you know or medieval literature they talk about the like wandering minstrel troubadour or the tinker that's got like the big backpack with all these little like doodads to me like jasper was like a 
a collector of skills, mm. of talents. He could juggle, he could draw, he could freestyle rap, he could act. And I really, like, from my young mind, I saw that as this um, this model that I was like, I want to be one of those. Mm. You know, that's such a cool role, this, like, multifaceted creative. And, and that's something that's been this, like, in my own mental mandala of symbols, I feel like there's always like this living dream chart of different uh, symbols in my mind that like are representative of where I'm at at any given point in time. And that's always been a strong archetype that's lived there as like, okay, the like wandering skill man, the, the general creative. Uh, and so that practice really with it, I think, came this just um this openness to experiment and to to try and to get creative you know like yeah like you know my buddy in fifth grade was like i tag here's my tag Mm. so for like an afternoon we just like tried he had like a tag name that was really cool and i was like man what's my tag name and i couldn't really come up with a good one i think i tried to be like tazed t-a-z-t just because I could draw like a cool T A Z T with like linking the crosses on the T's and the Z and, but I didn't like the name and, you know, and it was a lot of like, you know, I think that the story of creativity is the story of failure and of <laughs> coming to grips with, with being really bad at stuff. And when you're a kid kind of just glides off you cause you're, you're not really great at anything yet in the technical sense, mm-hmm. but you're great at everything in the like spiritual creative sense. Like it doesn't need to hold so much weight. It doesn't need to represent your definition of self or this identity that seems like it needs to be so important. And so for me, like as I became a young adult and as I kept coming into to creativity with, with that mindset of, of trying to maintain that openness, uh, I kind of had to relearn those earlier truths that, that children understand, which is that like it, none of it should matter that much hmm. because it all matters to you. Like these like kind of contradictory statements of like art's really important to me, but also my art is like hilariously unimportant. So I don't need to like make every unit of art represent me as a whole. And yet I can put as much investment emotionally into my work as I want. It's like this, this two, you know, two step, two thing. On one hand, you're taking it as seriously as you want, but then there's also that like, uh, compassion for yourself, which for me comes in the form of humor. Like with, you know, this podcast and as as an example, we were setting up, we were talking about audience, like, Maybe nobody likes my podcast and that's okay with me. Like I love my podcast and I have so much fun doing it. So like when I'm packaging these episodes, it's not about like whoever's listening or are they going to like this? Is this going to be interesting enough for them? Do I need to tailor my art to the audience? It's like, no, I want to tailor my art to what makes me feel good and what's going to make me most importantly want to keep doing this. Cause that's really what this is about is like, can I create a perpetual motion machine of creativity. Hmm. You know? hmm. I like that perpetual motion machine. And we're getting visited by a North Oakland helicopter right now. You know, oh yeah. They do abound. Um, I like what you just said about the multifaceted creativity and the collector of talents, you know, in your questions that I asked you, I said, well, how, what are you doing professionally? And you said, well, I'm unemployed, but 
that's kind of a funny badge because when I have talked to you in the past, it seems like you had a lot going. <laughs> and, you know, the quote unemployed is like, cool, what, what's it look like on a resume right now if right. I'm talking to a company? But when I think of you, I don't think of you as unemployed because I think you as like a multi-talented backpack full of creativity. Yeah. like a governmentally subsidized <laughs> general creative. <laughs> but I also think of you like you have a, a tool chest of creative talents that you use. You know, creativity is so hard to put a price tag on. Mm -hmm. You know, I've studied my whole life to be a creative, but if I don't make something that is that the dynamic uh, that the market will buy, then I'm unemployed until I sell something. Right. You know, I may be damn talented, but unless I'm selling my finished thing for somebody who has a dollar that needs to, you know, wrap that thing around their thing, it's like, then I'm unemployed. But, you know, that's not the way it is, is creativity. Like, we have to rely upon our practice. And, you know, I can imagine you with your backpack when I watched you walk by, like, <laughs> just a, a backpack full of talent. And it's like, yo, there's Hobart with his backpack. I dig that. I dig that. So how has, you know, Jasper's lessons for you and your ability to recognize that he was, I don't like the word jack of all trades, uh -huh. but I like that, that he was a multi multi-practiced and multi-passionate creative that taught you to see the world and, and the chase of creativity. Mm -hmm. How has that helped you that now that you are a, becoming a professional and understanding how to articulate yourself as a professional, how are you using that, that skill that he gave you? And maybe mm -hmm. you glean that from other people and your other peers around you. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny cause there's another 12 list that he actually gave me mm. in I think it was in middle school i was part of a uh, junior it's called the junior action pack it was a junior improv group that he ran the junior action pack. based off of his adult improv group the original action packs shout out ope um but i i can't remember all 12 of the co it's like the 12 commandments of comedy improv was was like the, the it was this cool sheet and he gave it to me again in high school because he was my high school drama teacher but i remember there was a couple of them and they i think they kind of translate into life and, and into the professional sphere you know one of them was like uh just say yes uh one of them was do or do not there is no try one of them was like steer clear of the pee, -pee jokes which i think is a is a rule that's like many rules it's that you should understand so that you know how to break it gracefully mm, mm, yeah because there are times when you gotta tell a pee, pee joke you know but know that you're doing it as an act of intention rather than doing it in a haphazard way. Yeah. Know? It's a tool. Um, but yeah, I think that like, I'm glad you, that you brought this one up because yeah, I mean for me, and I think this is true for a lot of creatives, like setting a price for my art has been like one of the hardest things. Hmm. And I still don't really feel like I have the confidence yet to understand how much my work is worth. Mm -hmm. And I have numbers and there's, it's been a good process. There's been times when I've sat down with clients and really tried to like suss it out. And like my tendency, the way that I communicate, it's always like, I have this urge to just be fully honest and like show, you know, show them what the back of the cash register looks like, like behind the, the facade of the, of the, of the shop. And I know that in the professional world that can really, uh, there are people that will judge you for that. And there are people that will think that that's l like less professional or that like, I, I can see the value in maintaining some sort of mysticism around that. Hmm. Um, but I'm not always feeling like I'm coming from a place of strength when I'm talking in that voice. Yeah. And, 
and it's hard. Like I, I know that there have been jobs that I've left money on the table or that I haven't gotten because I've like overquoted. And it's like, it's still a process that terrifies me. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up. And, you know, in the nine to five, you're relying upon your nine to five umbrella, the, the people that are employing you to, to pay you what they've said they're going to pay you and to mm-hmm. give you the benefits and like keep the, the roof over your head and the power outlets on and, you know, the bathroom's clean so you can go go pee when you need to <laughs> and, you know, wash your hands and like have the, the potable water and the coffee to keep you motivated and there for more hours than they're paying you for. Right. But when you're creative, like you're doing all that job for right. yourself mm-hmm. and you have to create what's my value and what's the market exchange for my value. I just had Dave Bailey over here, you know, shout, shout out to my man, Dave Bailey, who's a font architect. This dude makes fonts and is a, a lettering genius. Yeah. He loves it. And we were having the same conversation of dealing with the client and like half the conversation has been, how do we educate the client to appreciate the art form that is the process of making custom lettering for them. Right. Like, you know, and if I was selling insurance, I wouldn't have to tell them about the ins and outs of how insurance works and why they need it. I'd just sell it to them. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're selling them letters or illustrations or user interface or all this design stuff, like we have to tell them why it's valuable and whatnot. And that's also education that we don't usually get in art school right. or in other classes or you just we just kind of have to glean it naturally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's going to be something that we're all facing and I'm sure that as we continue to have this conversation about creativity and problem solving, solution making with creativity, that we're going to continue to look at like what is professional versus what is craft versus what is practice versus what is salary. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the extent at which we have to educate the people of our value versus them knowing it. And that's just all part of the game. Yeah. And that's you know? something I definitely would love to I think that that's something I could probably learn a bit more from you because you're you seem to be a little more developed in those roles as like the professional artist yeah when we started hanging out I was like man that is one thing that I bet you know that I could learn from this artist in and is like how do I present myself when I'm dealing with like a professional organization so that they take me seriously and that they like when I throw out a number it's it's respected you know Cause it's hard when you're just getting established and, and it's a, you know, you, you mentioned it a little while ago. It's that contrast, that, that walking dichotomy of this is me now. And this is where I want to go. Um, it's a constant balance and push off of each other. You can't have one and have the other. You can be stuck in the concrete and say, this is what I'm worth today. But then you, tomorrow you're going to be a better artist, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be worth more, but do you charge that more? Or do you charge your old price? Do you charge less and sell more? Or do you up your price so you can sell more later? And it's this interesting dance that I've had to find out what my value is um, through a lot of experience. And I've been burned and I've been paid more than I'm worth and I've been way underpaid and I've been still waiting on payment (laughs) (laughs) on some things. And, you know, but it's it's a challenge that I've accepted as a creative to also learn how to invoice and to know that there isn't friendship in business. Mm-hmm. So treat business as a transaction mm. and then add friendship on top of it as a, an interesting, beautiful additive that doesn't always need to be there. Gotcha. You know, I don't have to be friends with my clients to ask them for the money that they owe me. Mm. But when I become friends with them, like how rad is that? Totally. And then to be able to collaborate also with your trusted friends that, 
that you love for other reasons that may be talented in a manner um, that you're working in. How, how rad is that? But I have no problem telling people that they owe me money and I can say, hey, I, you owe me this because I did this work at mm-hmm. said price at, at this agreement, at this contract yeah. and done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's a whole conversation unto itself. Like how totally. do we value ourselves and how do we grow with that? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the market worth? What's the budget? You know, and on all these things, you know, it's, it's worth putting a price on your work so you can continue to feel value. And you can always climb. If you give away your stuff for free, then you don't have anywhere to kind of set a base point on. Mm -hmm. But you can also do a lot of free work. I found myself doing a lot of free giveaway work, a lot of dedicated donation work if I know the price up front. And I can say, hey, I would usually charge this much. But for you, I'm going to donate this amount. And then (laughs) come tax season, they're asking, like, how much work did you donate? And you're like, I donated X amount to this nonprofit. And they're like, okay, cool. And because you've you've set a price, we can validate that you have donated this price you to have a track record, which is interesting. So I see your superpower, right? As you're a a very good example of someone who can listen and then create adventurous questions and adventurous themes based on what people have have said. And you you're well read. You understand a good story arc. You understand how to dive in. Um, how do you feel like? The superpower of creating a podcast and bringing out the best in someone through words. How do you feel like you developed that from being a kid? Like, what were these things that you learned early on that now you're a storyteller through this medium? And what is your superpower in that? Hell yeah. Describe it to me. I love that question. (laughs) It's always set it up with the flattery. It's great. Um, I think that, yeah, like, I'm going to take a second to think about this because that's a lot. Um, as a kid, I was always drawn to drama. And I like I got so high off of being on stage. Hmm. I got to be the lead in a couple different plays. I was Stuart Little and Stuart Little. I was Danny in Greece. I had these moments, you know, throughout my childhood of getting to be uh, the center of attention, you know. And and even as like a little kid, you know, I, me, you know, shout out to my brother Tony. But I was the kid, you can watch our old, like, uh, home videos, and I'm the one that's like, look at me, Mom, I'm going down the slide. Look at me, I'm climbing on the structure. I'm running over here, jump, Mom, Mom, Mom. And my brother's just in the back, like, bull, like, just playing with himself, you know? And he's, like, such an amazing independent person in that regard where he can, like, really just be good doing his thing. And I think that interaction for me has been my life's work like how i can be how i can be constantly improving my ability to interface with other people i had some real like problems like hard times with that in my like elementary school days going up into high school i had a hard time like keeping friends like mm. I would, i'd like make a friend they'd come over and play for an hour and then i would kind of get bored and i would go read a book and they'd end up playing with my brother. <laughs> and that was like a constant thing that was happening. And I remember like he had this best friend that he kept throughout elementary school. And I just remember being so envious of that. And, you know, getting into high school, getting into a larger social circle. Uh, I had, you know, a couple experiences where I think like my freshman year, 
I made some friends and I was still struggling with just some of my own, uh, you know, just these like social, I don't want to say problems, but I just had some like underdeveloped areas that, that I wasn't really sure how to like unlock, like how do I build intimacy with people? Hmm. And I started smoking weed and I started drinking and that was like immediately opened this door of like, Oh, I get high. Like, I can get high with friends and that's a way to like have a common interest. And I remember the first time I smoked weed, like I wanted to call everybody in my high school directory and be like, Hey, I'm cool now. We can hang out, you know? (laughs) And like, and a lot of those relationships for the next two years, like I went from being this really introverted kid to like suddenly going to all these parties. My older brother was like a junior and he was super cool. He was like homecoming King. So like, for like a year I would go to these parties and like literally like I'd show up and like people would be like hail of stoked to see me and like chant my name. And like, I got this huge like ego boost and you know, it played out like you might imagine. I got like, thought I was hot shit and got too cool for some of my friends and really damaged relationships. And by like junior year, it all came crashing down. And like, I suddenly realized I had no friends. Mm. Like, Like everybody that I thought was my friend was, in uh, an acquaintance, you know, that like really was like, Hey, let's get a sack. Let's get a 40. Let's, let's party, you know? And that was like a really cold realization. I was super depressed and, you know, my mom, you know, for everything that we went through that was so hard in high school, she had some really amazing intuitions and she, you know, she encouraged me to join this this young men's group called men of honor that was like run by an ex hell's angel guy. And I started going to these meetings and like all the kids were in there because it was like a court order. I was the only one that was there like voluntarily, but I was like, you know, I think one of my, one of the gifts I've been giving is, is this ability to really buy in to things that I believe in and be like, all right, I'm going to try, I'm going to try like a hundred percent to give my all to this program. And I did it. And like, I, what I found was like, I'm in this group with all these kids that are like, quote unquote, tough, you know, but like, I became the leader of the group. I'm just this small five at this point, probably five, three funky, you know, sensitive dude that, you know, loved hip hop and could freestyle and break dance. And so like, we would like hang out and freestyle in the parking lot afterwards. I made friends with all these guys. And then that, uh, that summer, you know, I had gotten cut from the soccer team that year, which was really painful and hard because soccer is my favorite sport. And that that's that summer, my parents sent me on an outward bound trip, mm. which for those who don't know, outward bound is like a wilderness education. It was set up during World War II to train young sailors uh, to survive, to give them the experience of with hardship that the old sailors had so that they could like survive these tough situations. So like, we went out to Canyonlands National Park in, in Utah. We whitewater rafted the Colorado, and then we did, like, a week of backpacking through the canyons, and it was super tough. But, like, I showed up, fired up, and I became a leader in the group. And it was, like, those two experiences at that period in my life really showed me that I had this, like, as we got this car alarm, uh, I had this talent for this kind of, interactive inclusive positive leadership by connecting Mm. and it really allowed me to reframe like my 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 sense of self from like 
that I suck at interacting and I suck at communication to suddenly being like, like, this is my jam. Like Mm. I can do this. And I think that was part of my intuition for choosing to go down to, to Santa Barbara to IV Santa Barbara city college, you know, this crazy party school that like was a very unhealthy environment. And I wanted to just go, all I wanted to do was party at a high school. Like that's what I loved. And I went down there and it was like a crash course in like hyper socialization. (laughs) Like I would go out with one group of friends. I'd spend the middle of my night with a different group of friends. And then I'd come home with a completely different group of friends. I had like more friends than I could handle. And it really was like this crazy boot camp and like hyper social being hyper social. And, you know, I went to my classes, I learned some cool stuff, but like so much of it was this like like enormous social life that I was a part of. And so I think like coming out of that, like when I got back, when I moved back up, because, you know, there was a lot of other things that were kind of destructive about that community. What year was that? It was like 2006 through 2008. Hmm. I lived I, in Isla Vista in 2000. Okay. There you go. Did you go to UC or? I went to uh, the City College. City yeah. College. Beautiful yeah. campus. Beautiful college. I had amazing professors. It was really cool. And you know, but it was a lot of partying and I kind of like got my hardcore partying out in those two years and I started to see some things develop in personality wise that I wasn't really that stoked on with like who I was becoming. There was like a darkness down there that I started to feel. And, uh, and I moved up to Santa Cruz and like went from having like a hundred friends to having no friends. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, what I got out of it was this ability to just talk. Hmm. You know, and the whole time I was in school, I didn't have a car. So I was like Craigslist ride sharing my way up and down the state, going up to Humboldt to visit my brother who was in school up there, going back down to the Bay, going down to Santa Barbara. So like I was like having podcasts already because I would go sit in a car with someone for six hours who I'd never met. And it's like, all right, like got to keep it from getting awkward. What are we going to talk about? What are our common interests? Like, and that really without knowing it, like got me like kind of suited for this. And so like, you know, around 2013, when I moved out to the East Bay, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to make it as like a tech guy. Hmm. I'm going to go jump in there, work my way up, get in through the open door. I got a job at this company, Ticket Fly, uh, stuffing tickets into envelopes, you know, like for like 13 an hour. And I would just put on podcasts or audiobooks and just stuff tickets. And uh, I forget why I brought that up. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was working there, and it um, was that your dichotomy? Was that when you realized that you kind of gotten too far into the envelope of constraints? In your in your questionnaire, you wrote that you had a oh, nine, yeah. nine to five, and you right. spun back into creativity because yeah. you had that. I, kind I of remember f- why I brought it up. So, like, the job itself wasn't as important because I, I well, it did, was important because it showed me how much like I actually couldn't make it in this institution. Like, I had to answer that question: like, can I be a business guy? Mm. Like in this traditional nine to five sense, and it was like just suffering and misery. It was like the fattest I ever got. It was like the most unhealthy I ever got and the most depressed and stressed. It was like a three-year process. But I started listening to podcasts because I was working 
just with my hands all day doing like these tasks and you know the I think Joe Rogan experience was the first one that I really dove into and and I just started listening to these conversations and it became a language that that I you know when you listen to some when you when you're taking in an art form for hundreds if not thousands of hours you learn a fluency with with it and so like a couple years in to get back to the original question though that that artist voice came up of like could i do this hmm. like every time i see something creative that i like that's always what the response is is like could i do that i bet i could do that you know and it took me another six years and a and a shutdown to finally like light the fire under my ass and be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do it but like i think that like listening to so many hours of podcasts and like exploring the things that I liked and didn't like about other people's just like in music, just like in art, you kind of got to be a connoisseur. You got to like be discerning. You got to be discriminatory in what you, you got to develop your taste. Uh, that's, that's almost as, as important as, as the technical craft of making the art is to understand like what is my flavor and 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 it's not one before the other but that's like you know that's like when so many people who have been in college take music appreciation as a class they're like oh great i'll just like listen to music and it kind of gets written off as like a soft thing but it's like no nah, man like if you can appreciate music like that'll make you a better musician you know mm. like because you you learn like why do i like this song oh it's got this specific drum beat oh there's a genre that focuses on this drum beat okay, like I'm going to sit down at the drums. Maybe I can learn that drum beat, you know? I love that. I love hearing that you have this circular story from, you know, different levels and ranges of socialization that got you into wanting to dive in and ask questions and pull information from people. One, to just have a better, different social life than you were experiencing, but also because you were putting yourself in situations where that became almost a survival method <laughs> being in a car with a stranger for many hours at a time. Right. You could either go at it from a, like, let's just listen to music or let's not say anything or let's actually like dive in and be humans together. And I like that you created your own superpower and what's driving you now to do your best work with this superpower. Hmm. You know, you're doing these yeah. podcasts. You're really passionate about these podcasts. You, I'm gleaning that from you, that you really dig this. Mm -hmm. Like what's driving you now that you know what the superpower is and you've had this experience, like how are you and your backpack full of talents? What's keeping you doing your best work? Like what keeps you motivated? That's a great question. Um, and there's many, there's several answers. I think like when I first got started, really like starting to wrestle with the fact that I was an artist. It took me a while to be able to like identify as that. Mm -hmm. It was a coming out of sorts, mm. you know, because it was like kind of scary to like say that and feel like, you know, there's the imposter syndrome and it wasn't until like last year that I f was finally able to like accept that. Why do I feel all this angst and why do I feel this way? Oh, I'm an artist. Like it, it makes sense that I don't fit in these neat little boxes that society constructs for us that like, I don't, I think most of us are artists and we don't realize it, yeah. you know, but like to identify it is this big, scary leap. And 
when I was in my like mid twenties and I was trying to like experiment and figure out what I was going to be, what I was going to do for a living. Like one of the things I realized was like even more important to me than money was like, I want to collaborate with people that inspire me. Mm. I want to be seen as a peer in the creative world so that like, Oh man, I love this like singer. I love this musician. He's coming to me to make art with him. Yeah. Or she's coming with me to make art with her. Yeah. Like that relationship of being in the greater artistic community and being seen as an equal and being seen at, you know, a couple years ago, I started hanging out with this band, the honey drops, shout out California honey drops. Yo, honey drops. All I wanted was to be able to hang out with them and like have them see me as like a legitimate equal in the creative world. Cause yeah. these guys are like larger than life to me. And, and how cool is it that you have this creative tool that is something that you can stand upon and be a creative peer with them. They're an established music group, you totally. know, and you're not showing up with a guitar saying, Hey, I got some pipes to sing with you. Sometimes I try to, play. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have this skill that you're saying, Hey, I also have something to add to the common conversation. For sure. And that's really the epitome of, of what I'm doing, even with these artists and residents collaborations is how do we bring our best creative work to the common conversation yeah. that may be this weird nebulous thing where they don't think is artistic, but it is absolutely problem solving yeah. and absolutely based on inspiration and showing up. Right. So yeah, that's rad. Yeah. And I just wanted to say one more thing to that effect. Is yeah, that, please like, elaborate. Um, one thing that I've learned from, from the honey drops boys from my friend Lesh, uh, there's plenty of room at the top. There's plenty of room at the table. Mm. And I think that like, They've done so much for me and supporting me to like think about myself as an artist and to give me opportunities. I'm so grateful to the organization and to the individuals to like in the trust that they've put in me and in the, in the respect that they've given me and in the validation that they've given me. But it's a two way street and that inspires me to open my arms to the next. When I see artists that are like trying to make that jump into self definition or like yourself, like creating this new uh reality for yourself and this new art pursuit like i feel inspired then to like turn and like how can i pass on what was given to me to the next generation of people who are trying to establish a new creative venture like i think that that's what all of us artists need to be doing for each other because it's it's cold out here it's hard there's so much difficulty in the infrastructure that like you know as I continue to grow as an artist, it's incumbent on me to like continue to foster, you know, not based on age, but just on wherever people are in their journey. If, if I see someone that needs help, it's like, that's, I have a strong voice in my mind. That's like, I want to like do for that person what was done for me. I want to like, you know, carry on that tradition of artists helping artists. I like that a lot. Um, I met the honey drops through a mutual friend of ours, Levi Felix, who was running camp grounded mm -hmm. and Levi found me through yard sale signs. I was living, you know, five blocks, four blocks from here over at 63rd and Adeline. And I had a yard sale and he f walked from Bart to my house following my yard sale signs. He said, <laughs> I don't want to buy anything, but I'm about to have this camp where we're going to have musicians and actors and, you know, counselors and games. And it's all about adult play where we don't have any devices or any, we're going to be sober and we don't t have our names. We don't have badges and we don't have, you know, what we do for a living. We're just going to show up as our humanness. Mm. And he taught me so much about that. And then the honey drop showed up and played music there. 
And it was just so rad that his superpower was seeing the strengths in others and bringing them together to bring out the strengths in his audience. Right. And, you know, I see that as a podcast superpower as well. It's like you are constantly got your net out for what is interesting. Like what is what is interesting in your own mind? And you're saying, now that I see these interesting folks, how can I listen to their story and then reanimate it through their voice and your voice to tell the audience and so everyone can learn like i'm sure you're learning a ton through this process <laughs> oh, yeah. and i all learned a ton is, in... uh, all you got to do is listen to back to a podcast to your, of yourself where you talk too much and you're <laughs> right? like, oh that's a very strong lesson i learned early on like, i need to shut up i need <laughs> to shut it up um yeah toastmasters has been that for me you know i, I i'm in toastmasters every week when i can show up and i'm not too busy and it's been a really beautiful experience on how to talk just enough hmm. and how to have it be a challenge just enough and how to step into my insecurities just enough. I'm not a very secure public speaker. And so I, I would rather turn my back on the audience and paint a big piece live rather than face them and have to speak into the mic. Mm -hmm. So I'm really happy that you're pushing me to even speak into a mic right now. I haven't been yeah. nervous this whole time until I just thought of that. And now <laughs> I just got a little sweats going on. Um, right. So what was, what has been the, the advice that you've gotten that now you live by and the advice that you would, you know, give to my daughter who's six or mm. to your 10 year old, six year old young self and the young Hobart of the world and say, yo, this is what I learned. And this is what can benefit you. What, what shines for you? What would you tell? Keep it simple. Keep it fun. That's kind of been the mantra for this podcast. Um, there's a certain amount of technical proficiency you need to have, and there's a certain amount of infrastructure you need to set up for your creative venture. And I spent so many years getting caught up in those two things before I could even make the art. Hmm. And that was really, in the beginning, like really disheartening because I'd be like, oh, I'm so excited about this thing, but I don't have the device or I don't have, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that, you know, like... I, Oh, you know, I have my laptop and I have GarageBand, but I need to record on Adobe Edition, you know, because that's the pro platform. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, getting to the point of, like, well, what do I really want to do? And, like, like, I wanted to talk into a microphone and have people on and talk to them. That's the important part. I record this thing onto GarageBand, which maybe to some people isn't professional, but it does everything I need. And it's simple and it's easy. And I have fun. And, like, I think that kids know that. Like... If you ask your kid to, you know, if you tell your kid they have to do something and that, you know, they like, that's not fun. I don't want to do it. But if you ask them, the kids know what's fun and, and what's what they can do. And so, yeah, I think like that. And I think that, you know, one piece of advice I got again from my buddy Lesh working on a music video for them. And I was like deep in like the hardest emotional space around it. I felt like such a failure. I felt so inadequate to the task and he just met me with so much compassion and it was just like hey man like i struggle with this too like this is part of the, uh, the process like this downtime when you can't get any juice out when it's just like you're just hitting your head on the wall like it's okay like this is part of it this is part of the cycle and you're gonna figure it out and i did but like having like someone who i consider to be such a like a master of creativity uh tell me those words that really sunk home for me and that really like 
allowed me to uh, to feel like a peer, to feel like I was part of the community, but also to give myself a break and be like, okay, like today I can't do it. Hmm. That's okay. Like I don't need to. I don't need to be beating myself up about it. I need to be my own ally in that sense. Yeah, true. True, true. So what, what do you consider the role of the artist? Like what, what's the responsibility of the artist? You, you're, you are new to this mantle, you're saying. You are, but you're wholeheartedly leaning into being an artist. What's the, what's the point? What's the intention, man? Like why, why do you do this? What's the role of you as the artist and the artist in general? Well, to quote uh, Hiseo Miyazaki... To nice. see with eyes unclouded by hate. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> says, says the crow behind me. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that uh, it's, it's a great question. In, in, in my sophomore year of high school, in the rock program that I was a part of, we had this program called the Art is Everywhere Project. And it was like we had to choose a project, could be anything, and build like an art installation, whatever it was. Like my group, we ended up deciding to make our own tactile dome from like you know uh, because everyone was doing visual art we wanted to do like a, a, a an art of the other senses um but i think and and that was one of the thesis questions for the whole project was like what is the role of an artist what is art um to me i think the role of the artist is to experience life to the fullest extent of their senses and of their mind is to to cultivate curiosity and to cultivate honesty in their own self-dialogue. It, it, I think it's to experience and then to be honest and to express that experience creatively. Mm. Um, and we can all tell when an artist ain't being an honest. Yeah. And that's some dangerous waters to, to tread. Mm. I think this whole, as we see with like cancel culture and the tearing down of like some of these institutions, when you see these people that quote unquote get canceled a lot of it is that they're not honest. Like a lot of it is just this cultural rejection of like, Hey, you're full of shit. Like nobody's as clean as you're pretending to be. Yeah. And you can't, you're afraid of your own shadows. You're afraid of talking about it and being honest about who you really are. And I think that like more than anything is what our culture right now is rejecting. It's like this, these false narratives that have been propped up as truth or been propped up as an ideal that we're supposed to strive for. We're living now in an era of like, nah, it's time to get real honest about who you are. And that's the role of the artist. You know, you got to have integrity and you got to have honesty in, in your expression of what you experience. Because if you can't be honest about it, like how do you expect the, the audience or the people that are experiencing your art? You know, you're trying to convey an emotion or a feeling or a moment through your art, this translation. But if you're coming at it fake, the output is going to have some of that fakeness in it and it's going to, mm. people are going to feel betrayed if they, you know, if they feel something and then realize that it was all bullshit. Yeah. That's kind of a beauty of sharing your process and sharing your inspiration and sharing your pitfalls and your trip ups is the fact that it shows the honest trajectory of a thought process and a project and the humanity of it. And you know, I don't think that any art comes from perfection. It's all about, it's, it's way more interesting when you show the grime of it. It's way more interesting when you show the, the, the steps. And that's what creates contrast and the drama and the, the beauty of a story arc and the, the interesting parts of a story. No one wants to hear this, like, vanilla, all is good, princess rhymes. Like, no. Nah. <laughs> People want to have it be memorable. People want to have a little bit of, of contradictory juxtaposition. Uh, so... 
to wrap this up, man, mm-hmm. tell me about I and I I hope that you tell me the story that I think you're going to tell me, but maybe <laughs> you won't because um, we've already talked about this. But I want to get this on record. Yeah. Tell me about your dream project, man, and, and why it's your dream project right now. Like what with what you've told me. You've got a backpack full of talents. Uh-huh. You're owning your relationship to being an artist. You have a capital A in front of your artist's name. You're realizing that <laughs> honesty is the truth. I got some crows behind me that can attest to honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting in my yard and there's little birds flying around. They're all listening to this answer right now. Yeah. Like, what's your dream project and how are you going to do it? Man. Go. I, I hope I get this one right. Go. Um, you, you're being timed. It's a Triforce. I, I have three dream projects right now, but I'll try to talk about the, the big one. No, talk about the third one first. The third one first. Yeah. What, like chronologically no. or importance or uh-huh. what? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one that we're, we were, you weren't going to tell me about first? Tell me about that one. Okay. This is the one that, I, that in my life came in first, but okay. I don't think it's the one that will be achieved first. Okay. Okay. Tell us about uh, it. I mean, my original idea for a podcast was this podcast that was aimed at 18 to 30-year-olds, I guess, to not put too much tight of a net on it. But people in their 20s who are asking the questions of, like, who do I want to be? What am I going to be when I grow up? Quarter lifers. Do I want to grow up? How am I going to make money? Uh, I think that that period of life is very underserved culturally. Mm. That like the, the, the process of seeking and figuring and asking questions that you can't really answer and like trying and experimenting and failing and failing and failing and failing. I would like to see us do a better job as a culture at supporting and honoring that journey. Beautiful. And like telling these young people like, fuck yeah. Like you don't know. Great. Keep trying. Yeah. Get out there. And so like I had this dream to do this podcast where I travel the world and I offer a buffet of experiences uh, for young 18 to 20 somethings, 18 to 30 somethings who like aren't sure if they're ready to go to college, uh, but they want to like gain some experience out of life. Um, because I know the first time I went to travel, I didn't know where to go, how much it was going to cost, what to do. So I, I would like to go and travel and like, oh, Here's a monastery you can go stay at and do a two-week retreat. Oh, you can go volunteer and wash elephants here. Oh, you can go on this epic 10-day backpacking trip to, like, this pinnacle. And, uh, and then, you know, that, there's a video component to that where I'm producing my own travel channel. Attached with that is a podcast where I'm interviewing those people that you only meet when you're traveling. Hmm. They don't live in normal society. Their bound borders don't end where the country ends. They're just this... this I didn't meet those people until I went and traveled. And they're the some of the most interesting people. Okay. The that's wanderers. The, that's the thing that eventually I'd like to get to when I can pay for it. I like that. Um, What's your number two? Number two is the feature film that I'm hoping to make. Okay. That you're hoping uh, to make. Well, sorry. I need to change the dynamic that I'm making. Yeah. I'm in the development process of st- struggling with writing my first script. Um, it's going to be a Christopher Guest style, you know, best in show, Spinal Tap-esque mockumentary uh, based on a small town mayor who's just convinced the pro disc golf league uh, to hold their regional qualifiers in his small town. And the it's going to be a series of interviews like, like any of these 
Christopher Guest movies with all the different characters. Um, I love filmmaking. I love movies. I'm a huge cinephile. I think that as a culture, we're underserved by comedy right now hmm. and that we need to be making more comedy with with honesty. Yeah. It's a dangerous time to do that because there's so much... We're in this big cultural churn and there's a lot of people that are... Like, we're growing into a more compassionate and sensitive culture. And so there's a lot of vulnerability, so it's very easy to trigger people's trauma and their pain. I certainly don't want to do that, but, but comedy is also about taking risks. And I want to make comedy that feels like it's not softening its rough edges while still being cognizant and aware of people's vulnerability. So I hope to do that. Um, and... And making like making fe- films like indie features is a is a huge goal of mine. It's it's this dream I haven't even dared to dream until this last year. Like I never even thought about it. But the more that I spoke it into being, the more I was like, yeah, like this really speaks to me. This is really exciting. Maybe this could be the thing someday that like this is almost hilarious to say, but maybe could fund my other projects. Sure. You know, I have this dream of having maybe one or two big projects a year that then allow me that subsidizes me to offer things like sliding scale music videos to to bands you know or to to give as much of my art away as i can back to my community like you said like we said to build up other artists to help other artists um and then you know the third thing is just the podcast this podcast it's my dream that this podcast can get big enough to where I can use it as a tool to bump, give people bump, the bump, to give other artists the bump. Like that's one of the things I admire about the Rogan, Joe Rogan's thing is he's like literally made so many people's career. Hmm. He has all his friends on and they leave and they have an immediate following. It's like, Hey, you should start a podcast. Here's a million listeners just by coming on, you know, so much in, in the world today, we're in the information age. It's, it's just about the audience that likes you finding you. And I know out there there's people that are going to listen to what we just talked about and really resonate with it. Yeah. And it's like, how can we connect to them in a way that is still with integrity? You know, like, I don't want to force this down anybody's throat. I don't want it to be, I don't want to sacrifice my own feelings of integrity to get there. But I would love to have a platform that I could use to like support my friends. Cause I know some fucking incredible artists that like don't know how to get their name out there, but should be known and should be able to survive on their art because God damn, are they worthy? You know, God damn is the shit that they're making incredible, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of under (laughs) underwhelming artists out there that are making an incredible amount of money because of the marketing and advertising that are behind them that are making a lot of money on them. They're Mm -hmm. using them as a face, whether it be visual or music or, theater or movie you know i've been part of a lot of productions where the real talent isn't paid very much because the underwhelming mediocre names that (laughs) look good on screen are the ones making a lot of money and Mm -hmm. that's that's frustrating but at the same time it's like cool you got to pay your dues you got to show up and Mm -hmm. you got to be real happy with being stoked on your practice because even if you're working for free work with integrity even if you're working for the most money you've ever worked for work mm-hmm. with that same amount of integrity and, and part of their art is being the one percent skim milk of the art world you know like 
Like their shit's watered down, but like that's part of their creativity is like, I'm going to make a shitload of money making mediocre shit. Yeah. Welcome to pop. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, being popular is good. Like you just talked about Joe Rogan. He's making popular, but doing it with integrity is different than the people who are marketing the Joe Rogans of the world to make money on the Joe Rogans of the world and then let them, let them be the 15 minutes of fame and fall off. Totally. You know, we both came up listening and, and being aware of hip hop and as hip hop musicians lost their edge and became popular mm-hmm. and then fell off, it was sad to watch them fall off and right. then be produced by a popular producer and then, you know, never really have their edge anymore. Mm-hmm. And I yearn for those days when, you know, what's what's the famous Ice Cube line from the NWA song? He's like, you're thinking lobster? I'm thinking Burger King. <laughs> you know, like, I love the hip hop that's about how poor I am or mm. like, how I like, drive a scraper, how I, you know, like the stuff that relates to me is like the, the, the real struggles or the, you know, like, yeah, we all like dancing to like a club banger about flashy cars, but like, it doesn't really speak to us. Yeah. Know? Yeah. To me, it's about like, how do I hack my way to the root of the industry with my own integrity mm. and with my own practice and my own vibe and jam and flavor? Uh, I always want to work with inspiring people and successful people. That's that's a fun challenge to yeah. work with those folks because inspiring and successful means usually means pretty motivated. And but I've also worked with my share of people who got to the top by having it handed to them and they're they're not as fun. You know, I end up going <laughs> like you said, going and looking for a book and like sitting and reading a book rather than being part of the conversation right. and or sitting in my sketchbook which is always with me. Um but, you know, hacking your way into a new situation, even of success, is fun. You know, I can't, I can't put down big business always, mm-hmm. you know. Street culture and, and grime and grit and, and under, uh, under-voiced, recognized, you know, non-sold-out talent is rad. But at the same time, you know, becoming popular is a, is a challenge and a chore mm-hmm. to handle correctly, I, yeah. I guess I'm saying. I think there's a difference between being famous and being known. Yeah. I don't really want to be famous, but I'd love to be known. Sure. You know, like in the people, in the environments that the waters that I swim in, uh, you know, I'd like to be known in, uh, among the artists and the people that, that are interested in what I do. Yeah. And I'm less concerned with like being a household name or, you know, I don't want to, I want to be able to go to the supermarket. I want to be able to, to go out in public and like be a private citizen. But, uh, but, but like the resources that are available and the amazing collaborations that are available when people like know me for what I do, that is really attractive to me. And that feels a little more like honest. And, and I think that like at the root, like if I'm known, then I, then like I can help others be known i know how hard it is for artists who are really just obsessed with doing their art not wanting to compromise to to be popular yeah so like i i feel like i'm someone who can kind of keep a foot in both waters and and my thing is like great you're committed to your art like let's find a way for you get to get to be authentic and to get to be supported you know i want like the broke musician who makes great art to be able to live a comfortable life and not have to go get a soul crushing nine to five job, but who can keep making and doing what they love and not have to like compromise their values to sell Kellogg's. You know, like, 
How do we find that? And sometimes you got to get those soul-crushing jobs to, to balance out right. the, the uh, balance it out. You know, it's I've had a lot of jobs that didn't feel like the best jobs because I got better, you know, doing those jobs. It taught me a lot about not needing to be all in, wholehearted. I could just learn from those steps, and just just have it be teasers. And if you ship, if you can do your best work and ship in jobs that are not the things that you are most connected to mm -hmm. then that's a really good lesson when totally. you do have the permission to do your best work you're like you better show up hard oh yeah for sure no and, and it, it it does it does uh it's like it's like eating a tangerine before you eat jolly rancher you know like your art can be your jolly rancher if you spent years at your day job eating tangerines mm, yeah and like with with the uh i think like Every like young person should work in the service industry. Yes, I'd love to see that be part of like whatever program you know, like for all the everything you could criticize it for that, that Israel has, you know, their public service requirement. I think there's a lot of positive that comes out of that, and I've heard it talked about, heard it philosophized about with like universal basic income, that it could be attached to a public service component all day. And I would love for people to get a year or two of service. Even if it's working at a coffee shop, like if you have to like serve someone else, you're gonna, you know, I worked as a barista for a year. I tip always now. <laughs> I understand what it's like to be on the other side of the counter, you know? Yeah. And there's so many of us that don't get that experience. And I think as an artist, like it helps you be in touch and stay in touch, you know, with the, with the swag. Yeah, yeah, and being in the service industry, it makes you bring out, try to bring out the best in people. One, because you're BSing them into giving you some money, and two, because you know you want to provide a a, a dedicated, beautiful experience for them. I was also a waiter and a, a prep cook for a good bit of my early life, and it taught me how to present correctly, how to present myself correctly, how to you know cut all the BS and just show up with my professional self on, and not need to tell the whole story. You know, just be there for the intention and the intended purpose of why we're giving these people the food that we were giving them in quality. And, and how to do things that you don't really want to do. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. How to do some stuff from time to time that we don't want to do. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thank you for telling me your dreams. Thank you for telling me about you. Thank you for being part of this. I look forward to drawing you, illustrating your radiance, and having that be part of this offering, this published offering. Um, River just showed up. My daughter just showed up in the backyard. And so I, I bid you great thanks, huge gratitude, and let's continue this conversation as, as it naturally happens. Thank you so much for your help in letting me figure this out and really? giving me a voice on your podcast, your dream project. <laughs> you gave Forrest Stearns, Draw Everywhere, a, a voice. So thank you for that, man. I, I am a, a young student in this and I appreciate your guidance. I appreciate you man. It's, it's my dream to do this and it's such a delight and so much fun to get to to be on the other end of the interview um, and to talk in this way uh, and, and I appreciate you and this is what uh, what neighbor being a neighbor is all about or stuff like that. Yeah word well thank you thank you crows for being crowing in the background and thanks Oakland for the Bart cruising by and the people honking and the kids showing up in the middle you know love you all so thank you Hobart we'll yeah. talk to you soon for sure man peace peace
So this is called a microphone. <laughs> you speak right through this neck, right into there. So it's a magic device that captures your voice and stores it as ones and zeros. Okay, so you can take off your mask for a moment. So, so say, to end this podcast. To end this podcast, I think we should do a joke. Don't oh. you think, Hobart? I would love that, River. Can you tell me your joke, please? What's fast, loud, and crunchy? What's fast? Uh, what is? A rocket chip. <laughs> ah, that's great. I love it. All right. Best, best ending to a podcast ever. Ever. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, River. We got the jokes here on the Bartcast. Coming strong with the humor. Thank you, River, for that lovely ending. Um, yeah, well, there you have it. Uh, Forrest, way to go, man. Great job. Uh, that's that so, so much fun. And I know that uh, you're going to do great on your podcast hosting. And I'm, I'm really stoked that we got to do this together. Um, I will keep you all in touch as as we get near, as Forrest gets near to, uh, to releasing his podcast. And um, we might even do, we might even re-release this episode as a simulcast. So he might use it as his first podcast just to get the, the uh the train running we'll see if he wants to do it or not we talked about doing that um but uh but yeah you know that's my story or part of it at least and i'm sticking to it um i hope y'all found that interesting and uh that uh you know maybe you got a little little deeper picture of some of the hobart essence um as i got to sit in the chair on the other side of the table uh yeah well that's about it uh much love to you all i hope everybody is surviving this uh late winter style of of living and uh is going easy on themselves because you know uh that's what we all could use more of in our lives i think um until next time much love to you all be well